You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Susan Hartland, president of Wildlife Waste Station. Wildlife Waste Station is a 160-acre private animal sanctuary located in the Angeles National Forest, just north of Los Angeles, California. They provide a place of refuge, healing, and safety for animals in need. All right, Susan, so welcome to the show. We're really happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. You guys uh, have just done some amazing work and inspirational interviews, so I'm I'm really uh, grateful to have this opportunity to to speak to you guys and your audience. All right, excellent. So, Susan, uh, you are with the um, Wildlife Waste Station. Could you just take a minute and kind of explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wildlife Waste Station, we're in our 41st year. We're actually the oldest uh, sanctuary in the U.S., which is a multi-species sanctuary. We currently have about 400 animals over 100 different species. And... Um, Uh, All of our animals are rescued. They all were in need of a place to go. They've come from a variety of different backgrounds, from the entertainment industry, from roadside attractions, from being bred and brokered to go to zoos, but then the zoos didn't want them, from biomedical research, from private ownership, confiscation. So a lot of different areas. We have all these animals from a, a lot of different situations. Our team takes them in, and we give them a forever home and care. Wow, that's beautiful. And, yeah, it's a labor of love. I'll bet, I'll bet, yeah. Could you tell us um, a little bit about why this is important for you? I mean, you know, why this mission, why this way? What does it mean for you? For for me personally, I believe in compassion for all living beings. I think every life has value, and a lot of these animals are part of an ecosystem, right down to the smallest insect to a large um, mammal including ocean animals and land animals, we all have value here. And unfortunately, humans have created an imbalance. We are using the animals. We are wiping out species, and it's it's not okay. So I want to be a part of being a voice for the voiceless, being a voice for animals, being a voice for other species, and to help mm. those that can't help themselves. Wow. That's great. So, I mean, th- this may not be obvious to everybody listening, but how does the wildlife waste station solve that problem? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of laws that are that are are not in place, or a lot of enforcement of laws that are in place, if that makes sense, that don't protect animals. So we don't have a lot of laws that that end or um, make it illegal for private ownership of exotic animals, or we put billions of animals into the animal agriculture, we encroach upon wildlife and and we encroach upon um, wild spaces. So wildlife has nowhere else to go except coming into our neighborhood. We have zoos and roadside attractions and we use these animals. So when people are done with them or when they're captured or displaced, they have nowhere to go. And there's very few facilities that are able to take them in and care for them. And that's where we come in. And not only do we help these animals, we give them a home when they have no other place to go, 
because, again, they deserve to live. But we also try to educate people on why we do what we do, which is kind of what we're talking about, because these animals have nowhere else. They don't have a native environment to go to because we've encroached upon it, or they've never they've been bred for captivity or personal use and for human use. And so they've never learned how to live in their native environment, so they can't go back out into the wild. So they they need a place where they're cared for and they can, you know, be as comfortable and and live as happily as possible. Mm, Yeah, very nice. A lot of people ask um, a couple of the, the laws, like big cats. You see a lot of stuff now on social media about don't, you know, don't go to these facilities that you can pet a baby, you know, baby tiger cub, lion cub. Um, here in this country, in the U.S., we're, it's legal to handle, uh, a, say, a baby tiger until about four or five months old, and then it's no longer legal because they're considered, you know, more dangerous at that point. So people breed them, and they breed them, so they constantly have this influx of baby animals they take them around, they make money off of them, people pay to have their picture taken with them, and then after five months, where do they go? They're no longer useful unless they go back to a breeding program so they can be sold or traded or something unfortunate happens to them, and a few will end up in a facility like ours. Mm, wow. So, so we're here. Why we do it is because there is a need, unfortunately. There is a need, and there are still... Even today, you know, 2017, there's still a lot of animals out there need wild and exotic animals, displaced animals, um, animals that have been injured and can no longer go out into the wild. So that is, that's why we, we exist. We'd love to be out of business. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of animals out there in need. Yeah, wow. So it sounds like um, some of the specific things that you guys do um, for these animals is, well, one, you, you give them a home. And um, I, I, it sounds like it's a lot of education. It's a lot of education. It's a lot of, of talking to people and, 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 again, just letting people know why, not only why we do what we do, but coexisting in your, own, in your own area. What can you do to help wildlife in your area, whether it's you know, putting up a bat box or an owl box or, or bird houses, keeping the place, you know, your, your area around your house clean so you don't invite in small rodents, which invite in bigger creatures. Don't use pesticides. It's, it's coexisting. I, again, yeah. we all live here on this planet. It's, it's, it should be big enough to support all of us. Keeping a healthy environment benefits all of us. And keeping the balance, which is coexisting with our neighborhood coyotes and wolves and snakes and, and birds and appreciating that they live here too. So yes, education is a big part of it. Education, um, educating people on, again, where these animals come from, what laws might be failing them. We are actually the largest chimp sanctuary in the Western U.S. We were the first sanctuary to take in chimps and biomedical research. So there's still probably about a thousand plus chimps that have been retired from medical research waiting for a place to go. So we try to educate people that, that it's not right or appropriate to have these breeding facilities, put them in in these laboratories or in these circuses or roadside attractions and basically use them. And then when we're done with them or they don't cooperate, they don't work out that that now they're they're surplus or they're discarded. So yeah. so yes, it's it's a lot of educating. Wow. No, I I I had heard and I'm sure you've heard that um the Ringling Brothers Circus is closing after 100, uh, 100 years or so. 
Um, yes, yeah, that was actually something I, along with many other people, have worked worked hard on, and I think it's it's fabulous. And a lot of their animals, uh, I think they were trying to get the tiger shipped off to Germany to go to yet another circus, which is really mm. unfortunate. So we've been lobbying the um, the uh, oversight organizations to not allow the permits for them to be shipped, but for them to go to a sanctuary. Wow, wow, that's that sounds like a lot of uh, a lot of uh, lobbying and uh, you know maybe some some legal well, battles and things you guys it's, have to do. As not only um, Ringling, I'm sure you've you've uh, heard a lot about SeaWorld. They were getting a lot right. of press with Blackfish coming out. So it's it's. Times are starting to change, and, and again, it's unfortunate that we know so much and we're so aware. We have pets in our own home. We have animals in our home that we care for, but yet we put so many on display and exploit them and don't make that connection that these are all you know, living, breathing creatures. And if you look at these animals, for example, tigers and elephants in, in the circuses, what it takes to train these animals for these unnatural behaviors it's it's never good for the animal mm. so people are starting to slowly understand that that it's not okay and and it's not entertainment and it's certainly not fun for the animals and it's not educational you don't learn anything from you know uh, animal dancing around in a ring there's there's nothing Right. Good. Good point. Appropriate yeah. about it, and and we're starting to learn that in other countries, Europe. There's a lot of other countries that don't that no longer use wild animals in circuses, and some zoos are closing down. So we just we need to catch up with that, and and uh, you know pass the laws that help protect animals. Well, is there ever a time when it's okay for animals to be in captivity? I mean, you know, what are what are your thoughts around that? Um, what's the problem with things like zoos and and animals? Well, I think it it really depends. For example, our animals are in captivity, but the unfortunate part is they have nowhere else to go. Uh, and and one of the things we're doing is we want to expand into creating habitats. When you're talking about zoos, circuses, aquariums, these are businesses. These people are exploiting their animals for a monetary gain. They breed, buy, sell, trade animals. Um, and they put them on display for people to come in and look, and they say it's educational. But you're watching an animal in an enclosure who's been bred to live in captivity, and it's not right. They call it conservation when they breed tigers because there's only uh, a handful left out in the wild, but it's not because you're breeding them for your own purpose. You're, right. you're, you're breeding them to keep them in captivity right. to, for what? You're not you're not releasing them. You're not protecting the natural environment. You're not um, working on environmental protection so they can live in their natural habitat. We're we're breeding them for our own monetary gain. I think it's wrong. It's just it's just wrong. And is there a difference um, from your standpoint with regard to all of this between say domesticated pets or animal husbandry, things like uh, you know cows and chickens and and things like that? Well, I I think so. It, and, and again, it depends on, on your use. For example, I have three dogs here and three cats, um, and and they're my pets. I've rescued them. They've come from bad situation. I have two that are deaf and blind. Mm-hmm. And um, but when you're talking about breeding cows, chickens, pigs for 
say, agriculture, then again, we are putting them in a situation. We're force breeding them. We're putting them in a situation that they have no choice in. And mostly it's horrific. So it's it's just, it's not appropriate. Again, you just have to look at the situation. If you're using the animal, even dogs and cats, when you put them in breeding programs and, you know, you hear the backyard breeders and people who breed and sell animals, you're, you're, constantly breeding animals a lot of people will inbreed their animals to get certain genetic features and colors that's how mine ended up two of them ended up deaf and blind um called double merle but uh if if you have an animal out of compassion and you're giving it a home he's part of your family that's different than if you have an animal because you want to use him exploit him you know race him breed him uh slaughter him test on him train him for an unnatural behavior so you can put him on display it's it's never good for the animal You know, I, I read uh, on the Wildlife Station website um, about a couple of tragic situations, and I think these are some things that, that it's good for people to hear about because um, it's one thing to talk about theoretically, but then when you hear of a specific case study, like, for example, I read about the uh, Ligertown uh, situation where the uh, uh, they, they, they weren't keeping the animals in, in very good conditions and it wasn't safe and they were inbreeding them, and, and, and it got, got tragic, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah, a number of animals got killed, but they were breeding again for selling to um, most likely roadside attractions, zoos, hunt clubs, you know, whoever would buy them. They were not an ethical facility. And when you talk about your ligers or tigons, you are, you again, you're force breeding these animals because a lion and a tiger don't necessarily even live in the same area. Yeah. And they would never get together. So we we force breed them because we want to create this other species that has a monetary value to us. Right, right. And and, kind and, of- and this is, so these people were breeding and they were keeping these animals in a shoddy ramshackle facilities. And some of these rooms didn't even have windows in them. It was strictly just breeding and pull the cubs out and sell them. And when it started coming down, the animals were getting out the share of fish and wildlife were killing the ones that were coming off property. So fish and wildlife called Martine Collette, who's our founder here. She founded Waystation on this facility um, 41 years ago. And she's been doing animal rescue for pretty much um, most of her life. And she's really amazing. Um, her, She got a call to come up there and help try to save as many animals as possible. So she rallied a team and some trucks and trailers and a veterinarian, and um, they zoomed up there overnight and got there and were able to um, save, I believe it was 21 animals. Wow. And then lions, lions and ligers. And since it was a breeding facility, some of the lions came in pregnant, and um, we just lost the last one of their babies, and he was, I think, 21 years old wow. that were born here. And and again, that kind of goes back to people ask us, well, why couldn't you take the babies and put them back out in the wild? Um, And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is there's no 
good reintroduction programs for big cats, but the bigger problem is there's nowhere for them to go. Humans are encroaching. Um, yeah. And Africa is pretty much fenced in. India, uh, where where tigers would live, India or Asia, it's human encroachment is everywhere. And, and of course, when animals, big cats, stumble into human areas, it's never ends well for the animal. Yeah. You know, and it's sad. You know, when I hear a story like that, um, immediately in my mind, I think, I think, how can that even be possible? How could they even be allowed to mm-hmm. have an insecure facility and be treating those animals that way? And, and uh, there really aren't a whole lot of laws and things, or, or at least in certain places that, uh, you know, prevent those things from happening, right? There really aren't. And it's really a shame. We don't have a lot of strong animal protection laws. And it's really a shame. And the ones we do have, there seems to be loopholes in them for mm. for people, for for hunters and trappers. Um, there is a place, and I'll think of the name of it. Um, I think it's called for F U R for Forever Wild. For example, gray wolves are protected um, mm. federally, and these these people. They breed gray wolves along with bobcats and foxes and some other animals. And um, people, they charge people come in and play with them and their babies and pet them and take their pictures and everything. And then when they're old enough, they slaughter them for their pelts. Oh gosh! So it's, it's, wow. But yet these are these are animals that are prote- otherwise protected. So it's so we really need to do a better job of not only uh, having stronger animal protection laws, but also enforcement is the other side of the coin. Mm. And yeah. another thing is licensing. Uh, a facility facility like ours, we are we are licensed and inspected by Fish and Wildlife Federal in California, USDA. Um, even animal control comes in uh, L.A. County, so there's a lot of oversight. But for private owners, they don't have to be licensed, nor and they don't have to be um, inspected. So these animals can be like this Liger Town yeah. facility, private ownership. They can keep these animals in whatever horrific conditions they they want to. Wow! Wow! That's just crazy. That just strikes me as like. Um, a hospital would be inspected, but you can certainly just do any kind of surgery you want in your bedroom. You know, it just seems crazy that, that, that this can even happen. You know, um, I, I also read, um, another similar incident, um, about, um, a person who I guess had, had released a bunch of lions and tigers in Idaho and then had taken his own life. And you just imagine, you know, you're, you're living in, in a place like Idaho, <laughs> and or, or Ohio or something, and there's there's a lion. Oh my gosh! You know, I mean, that's it's just it's pretty crazy. I mean, I can't imagine something like that happening at the LA Zoo, you know. But it, but like like you're saying, somebody's private, you know, facility, um, something like that can and did happen. Right. Things that happen under private ownership wouldn't happen at most zoos because a there's a lot of people, there's a lot of eyes on them, and again, they are. They are regulated and inspected facilities. Wow, wow. Now, you really practice what you preach. I understand that you are a vegan. I am. Ah, very good, very good. How long have you been a vegan? Vegetarian more than half my life and vegan Mm. for a couple years after that, probably about almost half my life. Oh, wow, wow, very nice. Well, I I grew up vegetarian, and uh, I'm I'm not vegan, but... but, um, certainly vegetarian-esque. So uh, I, I, I certainly uh, appreciate hearing that. I, I, I know what it's like. It's tough. Being vegan is, a, is quite a commitment. And uh, 
So I applaud you for, for taking the leap and keeping at it. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, for again, for me, it's about uh, about the animals. We have chickens and, and pigs here, and and how can I eat one and try to save another? It it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. So I just don't, I just don't, don't do it. And I live, I I feel like we live pretty well. Yeah. Are there uh, <laughs> members of your team who aren't uh, vegetarian or vegan? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Okay, so you don't but have to be a vegan or a vegetarian to care about animals and to do good things for animals, right? You, you really don't. You, you absolutely don't. It's, it's just another level of, of just, just making that personal decision, yeah. um, you know, for, for yourself. And, and it's not for everyone, but I am working them. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, and you know what? It, it's kind of good to know that, that it isn't necessarily uh, for everyone in that sense because um, you want caring about um, these animals to be for everyone. And that's, that's a key is that, you know, that doorway is open because people will be able to relate. And if they can't relate, then they won't be able to help. So the more they can relate Absolutely. to it, the more they can help. Mm-hmm. And, and people, you know, I, I, I learned, I made my own choices and, and people will, they'll, they'll kind of do, I, I, I wish everybody would just stop eating animals and wearing them and, and using them, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we all have to learn. And I think just the biggest choices is to do your best to do your best to to just treat as many with compassion and that's humans you know humans and animals also treat each other with compassion and and caring and uh you know try not to support the industries that that are doing harm and that's that's really all we can do the the best we can do is just just Learn as we go and do the best we can with what we with what we've learned. Susan, I think you need a cough drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who who who's this uh, we're hearing from in the background? That's that's my baby, uh, Linus. Linus. He's, oh. Uh, Linus. Yeah, I've got Linus and Sally. Hmm. He's a little oh. Australian Shepherd. He's crowding three years old. Um, I, I keep. I was telling somebody who was asking me, uh, when are you going to stop referring to him as the baby? And I was like, well, I guess when I get another puppy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's deaf and blind. He came from a breeder in Texas who was breeding Aussies. And um, he's a, what they call a double merle. And his eyes hadn't formed. I can't remember the, the technical term for it. This is a uh, genetic... He, uh... It's a genetic problem, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, from wow. basically from from inbreeding and irresponsible breeding yeah. for for color, kind of like a, for example, a white tiger. We have a couple of white tigers here. People call it conservation, but they breed them to get that genetic um, mutation, that genetic feature. Yeah, to create the 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 white instead of the orange. Yeah. yeah. So they're purposely they're purposely bred for that, and a lot of them are inbred. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah. So he he knows that I'm I'm sitting here on the phone and he thinks that that's not good enough yeah. to be playing. Well, you know, you <laughs> refer to him as a baby. I, I have a five-year-old dog and um, I, I just posted recently on Facebook a, a picture of her when she was a puppy. And with inspiration from the uh, Billy Joel song, I, I said, she barks like a dog, but she's always a puppy to me. And, <laughs> and, and, and she will Cute. be. Yeah, she will be forever. <laughs>
You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Susan Hartland shares some more of her wisdom about animals and humans, including fun stories about monkeys spitting water at people, lions playing in cardboard boxes, and a new species of wolves. Stay tuned. Susan, you've you've got many years of experience uh, working with animals. Um, what are some what are some lessons about humans that we can learn from these animals? Oh, I think <laughs> a, a lot. Um, <laughs> you, you know, gosh, that's a good that's a very good question. What can we learn from the animals? Live within your means. Mm, you know, well, wow. don't, don't. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's very good. Don't. Yeah take you know don't take more a lot of animals for the most part very few will very few will kill will kill for sport or you know they 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 also have a balance they'll they'll take what they need and humans will encroach and take and kill for sport you know hang someone's head on on your wall and uh animals don't do that they just they they do what they need to to live comfortably mm. That's a good lesson. Yeah. Um, so, you know that the, the hard part is the natural animal kingdom is it can be pretty unkind. Also. Yes. Yes. Right. So, so that's a tough one. But you know, animals, much like us, they take care of their young. They live in family groups. So I think it's also, and even a lot of animals take care of their young and their old. If you look at good wolf packs, they'll take care of their their elderly and the young and I think that's a great message for us because I think sometimes in the human world we're too easily to discard especially our elderly we give them little consideration and we kind of set them aside so care for our families and and kind of you know start that at start your compassion at home and, and take care of your family and your elderly our elderly is a society and and create a society that helps each other and mm-hmm. and then we'll thrive you know, we're surrounded by so many different species and so many uh, different experiences with all of these species. And they're really amazing. If you stop and, and look from uh, wolves and coyotes and, and groundhogs and skunks and, and possums, these animals that we consider that we consider pests or nuisances or vermin or rodents, they all have their place and they're all really amazing. They're great parents and they're good friends and they take care of each other and they live in family groups and some are fine living alone. Uh, they're, they're incredible species mm. and how they live within our world to yeah. me is amazing. Here we are in this, you know, a big city or we've got traffic and, and eight lane highways and people everywhere and you've got birds flying around and they're making their way and they're living amongst us. Mm. And and coyotes and and raccoons that have managed to find their way and and live in our you know live in human uh, dominated neighborhoods. I shouldn't say our neighborhoods because a lot of them were their neighborhoods, but but they're they're just amazing creatures. And and I think somewhere along the way we've lost our appreciation of of others and and 
how they live and just how special they are. Yeah, you know, I, I think another interesting thing is that is how much culture plays a big difference in how we perceive animals. For example, um, I have had pet rats, and I've always loved my pet rats. They, I found them to be so interactive and so intelligent, and I, I, I really felt a connection with my rats like I have felt with my dog or, or with my cat. And uh, yet I'll, I'll mention this to people and they get grossed out about rats and, and oh my God, oh, they're so gross. But my, my experience with rats has been that they were wonderful and we had a, a great mutual relationship. So uh, I think sometimes, oh, you know, we're, yeah. just, we, we're trained to dislike certain animals uh, and, and, and that's interesting. Yeah, and I think I think that's like you're saying we're trained and that's learned behavior. Rats are vermin and they're pests, and but they're actually really quite brilliant. Yeah, uh, my friend yeah. who runs a, a nonprofit called Art for Animals, he has some rats that he takes into schools, and they are brilliant and they are beautiful and smart. Um, but my sister used to joke and say, you know, uh, if you have a rat or a mouse in a in a cage it's a pet the minute it gets loose it's a rodent (laughs) but they're quite brilliant and quite sweet and quite compassionate and they're wonderful little animals yeah you know my 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 rat oh i one one of the things i would do is i I would let my rat out of the cage and uh, i would just come home at the end of the day and i would just make a little kissing sound and and he'd come running out from the couch and climb up my leg and get up on my shoulder and, and lick my cheek (laughs) <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> and he had free reign of the house, you know, so he, he, if he wanted to leave, he could have left. Um, Susan, what, what are some, just uh, on the more lighthearted side of things, uh, what are some fun stories that you have? Well, we, we have a, a lot of crazy things that happen here. <laughs> um, our, our chimps are some of the favorite for fun stuff. Oh, I'll they, bet. yeah, they, they love to get a reaction from people. So when we have people here, whether it's tours or volunteers, Especially, especially the member tours. New, new people is fun for them. Mm. They will go over and get a big drink of water, and and swing over and wait for people to come. You know, they don't get too close, and these guys have pretty good aim. And they will spit water on people, and people will scream and and jump back, and <laughs> and the chimps get so it's so much fun for them. So they love that. So they, oh. They they have a lot of fun with that. I wonder what would happen if we knew we this. Back. Yeah, and we went in prepared with water in our mouths, exactly. and we got them first. I wonder if they'd appreciate that. We're on the same wavelength. Left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That, that, that's funny. Susan, who would be, um, of all the animals you have there, is there one that you find to be very wise? Wise? Yeah, just sort of a, an animal that is just sort of knowing and just maybe wiser than they should be. We have one, and I don't know him very well, but what I do know of him, I think he's amazing. And I think it's because of his background. We have an old chimp named Bold. Bold. He was actually, he's actually one of the few uh, remaining alive in this country who was actually stolen from the wild when he was maybe about four or five years old, put in biomedical research and spent most of his life there. And then when he was retired, he came here. Okay. And he's a, a, a thoughtful and, and kind soul, even after everything that, that humans have put him through. Oh. He, he's trusting. He, you know, plays with his keepers. He's kind. We have another chimp that's got epilepsy, 
and they can't put her with the other chimps because, you know, they're a lot like kids. Uh, kids will pick on another kid if they sense a weakness, and mm-hmm. then, yeah. um, but so they don't put her with the other, you know, in the bigger families. But she lives down there with Bold, and he's kind to her, and he's patient, and it's, he's just a sweet soul. He's very oh. thoughtful. Um, so we have a couple of, of chimps that are really like that. That's beautiful. That even after everything they've been through, they're they're thoughtful and, and kind. They treat each other well, um, and they share their food with the younger ones. They protect them, and, and they're just, they're really amazing. Wow. That's nice to hear. Yeah, that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of my other favorites are, I love our hyenas. The hyenas, I think, are really amazing Amazing creatures. Do you ever feel but mocked think, by them when they laugh at you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you appreciate what I'm doing for you? <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes they do. They, they say it with your eyes. They're like, lady, stop talking baby talk to me. What is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> wow, wow. Are you mocking me? <laughs> Yeah, I, and they're I, they're like, yes, we are. Wow. It's smart of you to figure that one out. <laughs> I've, I've always I've always found hyenas to be quite fascinating. You know, to learn that, that they're not at all related to dogs. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they're just their their own creatures, and they're they're really strong, and and you know they they have a sense of community too. You know, they're, they, they're, they're yeah, neat. absolutely matriarchal society and that's 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 pretty amazing yeah uh and they they live in their family groups and the and the women rule the uh roost there yeah um, but yeah. yeah a lot of a lot of these animals live in their family groups which i think is amazing because even as humans for a, a lot of times we we tend to not do that yeah yeah that's interesting yeah um, but but yeah, we have. But I think the chimps, and I think it's maybe because they're they're close to us uh, that you can you can really tell how thoughtful they are, and you can you know you just watch them thinking, and they figure it out. They kind of sometimes they know what you're going to do before you do it, and mm-hmm. the, our keepers. We we have keepers who've been here for years and years and years. One who's been here for twenty years. They know. It, again, it's it's like they're kids. They know their personalities. They know them by sound. They know, you know, these these chumps, and and it's really amazing. Um, some of the others, the coyotes, are very. I think they're they're pretty amazing. Also, oh, wow. they're very thoughtful. Again, they're very smart. Yeah, very smart. Coyotes are beautiful. You know, uh, Carlos and I sometimes see coyotes because we go running. You know, in the in, in at night uh, at night on trails and things and. Um, uh, I, I really feel like, you know, they respect us and they leave us alone and, and they're pretty tolerant. Yeah, they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're quite beautiful in a way. Yeah. They, the way they just sort of stay still sometimes and just look, you know, they'll pause they really for a little are. while before they take off. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at a coyote, you really can tell they're looking right back at you and the yeah. wheels are turning in their mind. They're, yeah. they're, there's something going on in that, that mind of theirs. There's a curiosity. Absolutely. Like. Yeah, they're curious and they're they're wondering. We have a, a number of wild coyotes here, but yeah, they're just beautiful and they're, like you said, they're, they're thoughtful and curious and they're smart. They, they watch for you, they watch you go by and they'll just hang out and, and just observe.
And I've been reading that we have a new species called koi wolves that have uh, bred together in the wild, uh, not by humans, but just out of you know happenstance that they they've connected together wolves and and coyotes. Have you heard of this? I have, and my limited understanding that that this hybrid is primarily gray wolves and coyotes because okay. of a decline in the number of wolves, so they started looking at the uh, coyotes. Interesting. Yeah, the, I think the Mexican gray wolf, I think they're a coyote hybrid also. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, as we, unfortunately, as we kind of decimate some of these species, they're looking to, to try to hang on. Hmm. Well, they're, they're incredible survivors. And, um, you know, I learned you know, over the past few years that uh, coyotes can leap six foot fences with an animal in their mouth, like, like a, you know, someone's dog or cat, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their pet can be stolen, right? You know, even over a six foot fence. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. six feet tall, that's a, quite it's, a leap. It's incredible. Yeah, we, I, I just learned um, earlier this week that uh, a neighbor had a cat that was taken by a coyote. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really sad. Um, and, but, you know, I, I personally have to look at it as uh, we live by the foothills. And uh, that is their territory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have a responsibility to keep my cat in. And uh, I love my cats, but I, I can't hate the coyotes. Right. You know, that they, they're, they're one lesson that we learn from the animals is they are true to themselves. They really are who they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I respect that. Yeah, I think we get a lot, and I'm sure you all have heard in a lot of neighborhoods around when coyotes start showing up in neighborhoods, the first thing people want to do is, is kill them, trap them and, and kill them. And which is really a shame because, yeah, they are magnificent creatures and they, I'm sure they can clear a fence. Even around around here, we have a lot of, of native coyotes, but they never, you know, they kind of come and go, but they never get in with the, with, um, the other animals, which is quite amazing. They just kind of stay outside and, yeah. and roam around. But, yeah, they do take cats and, and that's a shame. But then if you know you live in an area where there's wild wildlife, then, again, it's kind of like keeping your kids, if you lived on a busy street, yeah. um, taking the precautions to protect them. A- and also outdoor cats, they, even though they're a target for coyotes, they, they themselves kill a lot of wildlife. They are a major predator yeah. of birds and small creatures, but especially wild birds, yeah. um, especially around here in California. They ju- they're devastating a lot of species. Wow. So they, in turn, are, are killers. And I think people right. tend to forget that because they, these are our, you know, our pets, but yet they are decimating wildlife in, in their own respect. Yeah, my cat is a little too fat and unathletic, but all those other cats, right? <laughs> he, he prefers to he prefers to slay uh, cat treats that come out of a bag. Yeah, he does. He does. But he's very handsome. Yeah, so, he is. He is. Yeah. Um, and cats, I, I was reading recently, their genetics have remained virtually unchanged um, as a species. They got some DNA from Egyptian temples and things like that that went way back and is basically the same, virtually unchanged. That's kind of an interesting thing. Whereas dogs have changed a lot over the centuries. Yeah, generally, generally the this in in all cats uh, um, across the board, they're probably 
have the same similar personalities and mm-hmm. you know you have a different all kinds of different breeds of dogs that are that are really different cats are just cats are cats yeah big cats small cats you know or big lions like to play in boxes your house cat likes to play in boxes i mean yeah you know cats are cats so lions play in boxes Lions do play in boxes. They get uh, big, large moving boxes whenever we can get them for enrichment. And the <laughs> enrichment teams put put scents or meats and stuff in there, and they'll climb in there and play in their boxes and tear them apart. They love them. That's, we have serval cats. That oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. They sit in their boxes in their house. So they just sit in their boxes, and it's, it's the cutest little thing because all you can see is the, the tips of their ears sticking out of their box, and they just hang out. So funny. Is there anything else that you feel that you'd like listeners to hear about, or um, is there something you'd, you'd like to say that maybe we didn't cover? Uh, well, I think we covered a lot, but I, you know, just remind people um, to to coexist with other species, uh, whether it's the coyotes that we were talking about, or uh, birds, even the rats and mice. Keep your area clear if you don't want them around and, and snakes, but they all have value and don't, you know, they're not nuisances. There are other lives that, that deserve to live and enjoy living alongside them. You know, you can keep a comfortable distance, but enjoy living that close to other species and other lives. Keeping the balance benefits all of us. It really yeah. creates a, a wonderful planet and an and amazing place to live. And then, of course, I'll, I'll make the extra plug for Wildlife Way Station here. Uh, people can get involved in many ways. We have a volunteer program where people can work on many, many aspects of it, from from cleaning and enrichment to education and outreach to helping with simple things like produce pickup. The animals greatly appreciate it, and we appreciate all of the help. How do we stay in touch with you, Susan? You can go to our website, www.wildlifewaystation.org, and it's got our contact information. It's got all the information about our member tours. It's got our volunteer information. It's got our wish lists on there. You can follow us on social media. We have a Facebook page, which is Wildlife Waystation, of course, Twitter, and um, Instagram, and YouTube, so you can follow us on socials. Great. And or come up and, and become a member and come up and visit us if you're local and see what we're doing, meet some of the animals and hear about some of the projects that we're working on. And of course I extend the invitation to, to you two gentlemen to we'd love to have you come up and and uh meet us and see what we're what we're doing and meet some of the animals here. Mm. And Oliver, our sound engineer. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Of course. The guy with, yes. the, guy with the chickens. Everybody is welcome. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we, we are going to take you up on that offer. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we're excited about that. Well, Susan, uh, this has been a, a really delightful and unique conversation, and uh, uh, we certainly appreciate everything that you're doing there, and uh, um, you know, thanks for, for your time and coming on the show. Yeah, this was really great, Susan. Really wonderful talk. Yeah, thank you, you all so much. Thanks for all you do for bringing people together and, and wonderful ideas and inspiration and initiatives. Thank you so much for giving me some time to talk about some of the, the many things I'm very passionate about, um, uh, which is which is all animals all the time. And I'm really grateful for, for the time and, and for, for you guys caring about this and caring about animals and being animal lovers yourself. And, and again, compassionate people who, you know, you're, you're connecting people and I love that. 
been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. A big thanks to our guest, Susan Hartland of Wildlife Way Station. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.